Heavenly Father, we come before you right now as people who stand in your honor. And we have one word for the God of the universe. And that one word is hallelujah. Say it with me, church. Hallelujah. You didn't say it. Say it again. Hallelujah. Father, all praise, all glory is yours. All of it is yours. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are bigger than anybody, anything, anytime, anywhere. Hallelujah. Father, we give our praise and our honor to you because your grace has fallen upon us as children of God. We thank you for the, the proof of your power and your love through the resurrection of your son. We thank you, Lord, that the resurrection of your son has direct implications in our life. And so we, we say hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, we shout hallelujah. All praise, all glory, all honor to you and to you alone. And we say it in the name that is sweeter than any other name. The name that only belongs to your son. The sweet, sweet name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Somebody say he's alive. He's alive. You're gonna have a seat. Man, thanks so much for being here. That was some good worship. If you didn't like that, you're in the wrong place, let me tell you. Hey, have you ever had a really good day and uh, you got it all planned out, man? It is the day of all days and it's gonna be a great day. And then all of a sudden something happened and it turned bad. Am I the only person in the house that's ever been there? And sometimes it's not a day is it? Sometimes it's a week, and sometimes it's a, a month, and some of y'all in here saying, what are you talking about? Sometimes it's a lifetime, because sometimes you can be looking forward to something and anticipating something of great value, and, and then the world just kind of comes at you, and everything turns, turns bad. I remember a number of years ago, I had had an event that I was looking forward to. I'd been working on it for about three months. I had gathered uh, several pastors uh, from several different states, and I'd invited them in. We'd all been working on this. We were going to hang out for the day, and we were going to help each other and learn from each other. It was just going to be the greatest of days, man. And I woke up that morning, and man, I was pumped. I dove out of bed, and I'm ready to go. Everything's ready, man. A great place, great food, great people. It's going to be awesome. Dove out of bed, got ready. Had to take my son to school on the way, and, and I threw him in the car, and we took off, man. And, and even the ride for him early in the morning to school was better than normal, okay? It was a great day, man. He got up on his own. Uh, he dressed on his own. We had to beat him up to get him to dress. Uh, he actually talked to me on the way. Man, I don't know about y'all, but I never thought my kid's vocal cords even worked till about noon. And so he's, he's talking, man. It is the greatest of day. And so I drop him off, man, and I am heading. It is going to be the day. And my phone rings. I look down. It's my beautiful wife's face, and I just know she's calling to tell me how awesome I am as a husband. And uh, I answer it, and let me try to get as close as I can to what she said. (laughs) You don't have to come home 
if you don't want to, but the house is on fire. Now, I'm not, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I have been married long enough to correctly interpret that message. She was not giving me permission to go on with my day. Am I right? And so, man, we got a new kitchen out of the deal, which was pretty cool. But I remember thinking on that mad dash to the house that a really good day can turn into a really bad day really fast. Am I right? And it describes, for some of us, days that we remember. And some of us might remember weeks like that and seasons of our life where we're just kind of plodding through things. And so what I, what I want to ask you to do is I want you to hang with me for a few minutes. And I want to remind you, and some of you all need this, I want to remind you that your story doesn't have to end bad. You see, that's the Easter message. If Easter has one message, that's it. And the message is that something better is on the horizon. And even if the ground is shaky for you, and even if you found yourself in a ditch, the message of Easter is something on the horizon is better. Check this out. This is fascinating to me. The word hope. Everybody say the word hope. Say it. Hope. The word hope is listed 78 times in the New Testament. Listen to this, it'll knock your socks off. 75 of them come up after the resurrection of Jesus. Hope is all the message of Easter. It is about better things. It is about rough times becoming good. In fact, if I had to tell you what Easter's about, here's what I would say. I would say Easter is our reminder about hope You've come today so I can remind you about hope. What's hope? Better things are on the way. And I don't know what's happening in your life. I know what's going on with you in your life, but I wanna show you in scripture that the message of Easter, the reason for the resurrection of Jesus is so your story doesn't have to end bad. And some of you all coming and you're, you're in this room right now and you're thinking, dude, you don't know what I'm going through because man, it's all bad and I don't see anything ever getting better, then I want you to know you have forgotten what this is about because the message of Easter is about hope. Better things are on the way. I wanna show you something real quick, and I hope maybe you might learn a few things about this, but I want you to think for a minute about a time frame and, and, and this time frame is about 40 days long. So it's about, you know, roughly six weeks or so. I want you to think about that time frame. And at the start of that time frame is when Jesus died. And then I, I want to go for about 40 days. And at the end of that time frame is when Jesus went back up into heaven. And so you've got about, about 40 days there. And, and if you dive into the Bible and get down into the weeds, you can find out that a lot of crazy things happened in those 40 days. But if you had an umbrella over all of it, here's what happened. Bad got good really quick. So, so here's how I, I, would, I would show you this. And I need this kind of stuff for my little brain to kind of understand things. So that, that 40 days kind of has about five different sections to it. I want you to see them real quick. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on them, just I want you to see it. 
And I put them all in the word, uh, starting with A, so I could remember it. Y'all are brighter than me. You don't need that. So asleep is the metaphor in the Bible uses for death. So Jesus died on Friday. And then you move to another section, which is absent. His body was absent. It was buried on Saturday. And then he was alive. He was resurrected on Sunday. And then he made a lot of appearances over those 40 days, meeting with all kinds of different people. And then his ascension is when he went back up into heaven. And so for about six weeks, you got that stuff happening. And the Bible talks a whole lot about those periods of time. And I I want you to know, there are some insane things that happen in each one of those sections. And I wish we had time to really dive into them, and we don't. But if you looked at some of them, you you would see some just some crazy things that went on. But they were all fitting under this idea that some bad stuff suddenly got really good. Let me show you a couple things. Let me, let me talk about the asleep thing. When, when the asleep section started and Jesus died on Friday, there's all kinds of things that happened there. Let me tell you one thing that happened about that when he died. And uh, this got a little bit of shock factor, but you probably have heard uh, the whole thing about the, the story where the soldier put the spear up into his side and that happened during this section. Did you know this about that story? Listen carefully to this. He was already dead. They didn't need to do that to him. That was the abuse of a corpse. That's about as bad as it gets. And then obviously the asleep section moves to the idea where then he's absent and they buried him on, uh, on, on that Friday and Saturday. And so Saturday he's in the tomb. And, and my warped sense of humor, when I read about that part where they buried him, I see something in there that I just laugh about. And it's because I'm kind of a goofy guy. But if you read about it, um, they, they bury him. And, and the heartbreak of it all is that this guy named Joseph was asked, can he, can he take the body and bury it? And if you read the story, and it's, it's just sickening. It, it's so sickening that almost like you, you want to be, are you serious? And almost laugh about it, is that Joseph had to go get the body and take it off the cross and transport it to the cemetery. See, we have professionals that do that now, don't we? Can you imagine somebody that you love die at a hospital and the hospital call you and say, hey, they've passed away, you got to come and get them? You're like, What? And so, so Joseph comes and gets him, and man, it's just getting bad and bad and bad and bad, and then things get a little bit better. The table turns on Sunday when he comes alive, and I love that part of the Bible, as many of you have read, where they find out that Jesus is alive. Have you ever paid attention that early on Sunday morning, when they went to the tomb, if you've ever read that carefully, it was really early. In fact, one of the authors said, it's still dark, man. Okay, and they run to the tomb on Sunday morning. And have you ever paid attention who went to the tomb first? Anybody know? Women. Women went. And the men didn't go. Now just play in your mind about that a little bit, okay? Everybody wakes up in the house and they talk, let's go, and the men go, I ain't going to no cemetery, dark. I ain't doing it. And the women, you bunch of babies, we'll do it ourselves. And so the women go, and he's alive. 
And then we find for the majority of the 40 days, he makes all these appearances to prove that he's alive. He meets with his disciples and some of the occasions he's eating. In one place it says he met with 500 people gathered to see him. Hey, if a dead guy is the guest of honor, I'm going. I don't know about y'all, but I wanna be there. And so you got all these appearances and, and things are just getting better and better and better. Do you see, we went from bad to good. And then the last section is his ascension. And the Bible says this, now check this out. You're rational people, okay? Think about this. It says that he started floating up into the sky until they couldn't see him anymore when he got lost in the clouds. Have you ever seen anybody do that? No, you haven't seen that. And there's not any instruction about that. There's no detail about that. And I read that and go, Come on, man, you gotta tell me some more. Did he have a jetpack on? Oh, I mean, what was the deal here? How'd that happen? And there's nothing in the Bible about that other than whoosh, he went up. And it says that everybody who saw it went home, listen to this, joyful and happy. And I asked the question, how did they get from bad to joyful and happy? How'd that happen? Now, the easy answer is, well, dude, Jesus was alive, so they were happy about that. I don't think that's why they were happy. Here's why I don't think it's why they were happy. They, they weren't happy because he was alive, because he was gone again. How are they happy that he's gone again? Here's why they are happy. And this is why it is an anointed moment that you found yourself in this room right now. This is it because they came to understand that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection, listen to this, from bad to good, they came to understand that what happened to him could happen to them. That's the difference. That's the thing that I hope people throughout this weekend will catch. That's what I hope you take home with you. This is the message of Jesus, that what happened to him can happen to you, that bad can get good really quick and ultimately good that the same bodily resurrection of Jesus, that can be your story. No matter what shaky ground you're on, no matter what ditch you're waddling through, the end of your story can be his story. And a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul wrote to some friends of his in a city called Corinth because they needed that reminder. They needed to be reminded that what happened to him can happen to you. And so he reminded them of what the resurrection of Jesus is. And gang, if I had to take the whole story of Easter and put it in one verse, I'd steal the verse that Paul used to write them. Look what he wrote. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. He said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Watch this. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Now, do you see that first fruits? Paul reminded them the same thing I want to remind you, that when Jesus came out of the tomb, bad got good, man, dead became alive, that when that happened, he was a first fruit. 
It's big. And that's a word that we don't use nowadays. You probably haven't said first fruit in a long time, maybe never. And so what in the world is a first fruit? Well, what Paul did was he took this word and he borrowed it. He borrowed it from a holiday they used to have back in the Old Testament, the Jewish people. And this holiday happened around harvest time. And when they went out to harvest the crop, they went into their grain fields and God said, I want you to take a sheath of the crop, the first sheath of the crop. You say, dude, what is a sheath? You, may, you know in, in, uh, around October time and Halloween time, you ladies go buy all those corn stalks and put them together and put them on our house. You know, I come home and say, what do we got dead corn on our house for? Okay, that is a sheath, that's what that is. It's kind of wrapped up the crop. And what happened in this holiday is that God said, I want you to go out and I want you to get the first sheath of the crop. And he called it the first fruit. And so they grabbed some grain and they put it together. It was the very first thing they harvested. And God said, I want you to bring it to the temple and I want you to say, God, this is the first fruit of the crop. And what that means is there is a whole lot more to come. This is just the first part. Now, Paul writes about the resurrection years later. And he's talking about how Jesus came alive after death. Man, bad got good. And he said this, remember this, remember this. He's just the first fruit. Others will follow this. There are going to be more resurrections because the intent of God is that those of us who follow him, that that's the life that we will live, that bad can become good and ultimately, that we can be resurrected just like he was. And Paul then went on to describe what that meant. And he said, I'm talking about a full bodily resurrection in heaven, an absolute perfected body in heaven. That Jesus has that, and that's what you will have. He's just the first fruit, gang. You can follow that. And if we went in to read that, Paul began to describe what that physical, perfect body would be. I've joked about that here to my Eastside family. I don't know about you all, but I've kind of thought about that for me. And I'm gonna be six foot two, tanned, built like a rock, ripped abs, blue eyes, pearly white teeth, and I'm gonna have flowing blonde hair so I can just flip it whenever I wanna flip it. Now, those of you who are smart know he don't say that, and he doesn't, because he never tells us what the body looks like at all. He tells us what the nature of the body is. It'll never get sick. Can somebody say hallelujah who's been sick lately? It'll never get sick, it'll never get weak, it'll never wear out, it'll never be destroyed. And all that happened to Jesus, but he was just the first fruit the first fruit, more is to come. The more is you. And so gang, if you carry that around within you, that element and understanding of hope, of what the end of your story can be, that if you carry that around and know that all in your life, that that's the end of my story. Watch this, when I spend a season in the ditch, 
when life comes at me and does me in for a while, when those things happen, I'm not saying you go through those smiling and happy like a crazy person, but you go through them knowing this ain't the end of my story. He's just the first fruit, man. I get to follow it. Let me tell you a time where that happened in my life and I don't know that I'll ever forget it. I lost my mama about nine years ago. Mom died from struggling with COPD and emphysema. It's an absolutely terrible way to die. And no matter how bad it got, she always knew that Jesus was a first fruit. She always knew that. She always knew that's not the end of my story, that something far better is waiting on me. She always knew that, no matter how sick she ever got. I was reading through her diary this last week, and I noticed an entry on a night, and I want to read for you what she wrote on this entry. She said, woke up coughing at 3.30 in the morning, and it didn't stop until 9.30. I took a mucinix and it helped. And I listened to Dr. Stanley preach on God's many promises. And I stopped there and realized that my mom listened to Charles Stanley and not her own son, okay? So that kind of bothered me a little bit. And then she ended it, God never breaks his promises. Because she knew about hope. She knew this isn't the end of her story. This is not the end of our story. Jesus was the first fruit of resurrection, that we will get that. When she started getting really sick, we tried to be with her as much as we could, and there was a a week when I I just couldn't get there for a day, and so my wife went up, and Susan went to hang out with her at the hospital, and it was that proverbial thing you've heard about before people die. Sometimes they have a really great day, and those two gals just had a great day. Uh, Susan got there and mom said, I really want some ice cream from Culver's. And so Susan went to Culver's and got an ice cream cone and it was a million degrees outside. And she said she drove with the cone right in front of the air conditioner as fast as she could back to the hospital and, and mom had an ice cream cone. And then mom saw on the menu that day they were, they were serving pizza at the hospital. Hospital pizza. Somebody go, yum, yum, yum. And she said, I want some pizza. And she made him bring another piece so Susan could have pizza. And they ate ice cream and ate pizza and laughed and joked. And it was one of those just beautiful gifts of God that he laid before her. So I showed up the next day and things had all of a sudden turned for the worst. And she was pretty much unresponsive. And I remember being frustrated that everything they were trying to do to kind of wake her up and get her cognizant, I mean, nothing was working. And I was getting more and more frustrated. And I just, I just want my mom to feel better. And I, I want to talk to her. And, and they just couldn't get anything to work. And the, the doctor was a wonderful doctor, um, was giving everything he had to, to help, but nothing was working. And he had an incredibly thick accent. And I just, I just couldn't understand him, and I would ask questions, he would answer, and I, I didn't know what he was saying, and I got more and more frustrated, and my frustration was just rising and rising and rising, and the doctor knew that I was at that peak level, and he opened up an envelope, and I'll never forget this, he put an x-ray up on the light wall thing there, and he pointed to my mom's lungs that were a solid white that I learned later represents trapped air that just can't get out. And he looked at me knowing that I couldn't understand him. And he said this, 
no fix, no fix, no fix. And I knew what he was saying. But my heart wanted to say to him, dude, you're the one that don't understand. Because there is a fix. And it's a fix better than anything this hospital could ever put together. Because Jesus, the Lord of this lady, was the first fruit of what she will have. And family, I want you to know that my hope today is that you are reminded of that. That God rose his son from the grave so that all of that can be yours too. God says he's just the first. And so Paul had to remind us of that. He reminded another group of friends who lived in a city of Rome, the same Paul who wrote to the Corinthians about Jesus being the first fruit, wrote to his friends in Rome with the same thing. And he reminded them that you receive this promise, the very thing that happened to Jesus. You receive this. You're given this confident, hopeful promise when you accept him and you're baptized that that's when God says, you now will follow the first fruit. Look at how Paul described it to his Roman friends. He said, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was from the dead through the glory of the Father, he was raised that way, watch this, we too may live a new life. And what Paul was doing there was talking about what happens at the moment when a person accepts Jesus and they're baptized, that at that moment, your sins are forgiven, you're filled up with the promise of God's spirit in your life, and you are guaranteed without doubt that you will live a new life in heaven. And all of that happens at your baptism. And that's why baptism is done by what is called immersion. And I know a lot of people come from different backgrounds where baptism means different things and it's done in different ways. But if you go to the Bible, baptism is called immersion baptism. Your body goes underwater because the old you is gone and you come up out of the water ready for a new life. You're resurrected because Jesus is just your first fruit. I wanna challenge you today I wanna challenge you that you make sure that that is your story, that bad can become good, that no matter what happens to you in this world, no matter what happens, your story can end good because Jesus is only, he's only the first fruit. Let me tell you about somebody who understood that. Many years ago, there was a lady by the name of Evelyn Wheeler And Evelyn had passed away. She was the wife of a man by the name of Glenn Wheeler. And Glenn was a faithful preacher of one of our churches in the state of Ohio. And when his wife Evelyn died, they were putting together the services they were going to have for her. And Glenn said, I want you to make sure that you tell the story about Evelyn's fork. And, and so they, they said, what are, you, what are you talking about? And Glenn began to describe what his wife used to do with a fork. And she was Miss 
homemaker back in those days and was an incredible cook. And Glenn said he would come home and the family would get around the table and they'd have this great dinner that Evelyn had put together. And after everybody was done eating, Evelyn would jump up. And some of us remember in that generation, she begins to pick all the plates up and clean the table off and getting all ready. And as she's going around the table, she's telling everybody, now hold on to your fork. Hold on to your fork, hold on to your fork. And everybody in the family knew what she meant because dessert's coming, huh? Dessert's coming. And so they held on to the fork. And Glenn said when they were putting the service together for his wife, he said, would you tell that story because that is a metaphor for what it means to be a Christian. That you've got a fork You're holding on to it because something better is coming. See, if you're in a ditch and life's beating you up, I want you to know that if you hold on to your fork, because God gave that to you, Jesus is just the first first fruit, that you hold on to your fork because it is a reminder that better things are to come. And I'm given that fork when I accept Jesus as my savior and I'm buried in Christian baptism and I hold on to that fork because I know in hope that better things are coming. So here's what we'd like to do for you today. We wanted to do something this Easter that was kind of simple and it'd be something that you would never, ever forget. And so I'm gonna show you that I brought here a golden fork. And we've got several hundred golden forks up on this stage right here. And I'm gonna invite our worship team to come out and they're gonna come out here and get ready because there's a couple songs that they're gonna sing for us. And when we start singing, you'll know in a minute when we're gonna do that, I'm gonna invite you to stand and sing with us. And if you have been baptized, if you have given your life to Jesus, the reminder that I'm giving you today is that you were given a fork because something far better is in your story, far better. And I wanna encourage you to hold on to your fork. Put it in the console of your car. Ladies, put it in your purse. Maybe put it somewhere in your bedroom where you see it every day when you, when you wake up. I'm gonna put it in my office somewhere and it's gonna be that daily reminder that even when life beats me up, man, something better is waiting on me. Something better is in store for me because Jesus was just the first fruit. I wanna encourage you to hold on to your fork. And so today, when you leave here, you're gonna walk out of here holding on to your fork. And I want you to hold on to it. I want it to be a reminder to you forever and ever that better things are on the way. There's hope in the first fruit of Jesus. I want you to take that with you. I want you to get it on social media and just freak people out. I'm holding on to my fork. And they'll think, what in the world is that about? But you know, because Jesus is just the first fruit, right? He's just the first fruit. And you hold on to your fork. Now, I want to make a challenge. And I know a lot of you in this room, you didn't plan for this, but I want you to hear this. If you've never been baptized, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you, 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 you're, you're hearing what we're talking about right now, and, and the reality is you, you don't have a fork to hold on to because in order for Jesus to be your first fruit, you gotta join hands with Jesus. And that happens when we're baptized. And so if you have never been baptized, I want to challenge you to be baptized. 
And I know many of you are probably thinking, I didn't plan for that. I, I didn't think about that. And I want to encourage you that you ought to take opportunity when God gives it to you because you don't know when you'll get that opportunity again. So we're going to baptize people today. We're going to baptize people right now. And when you come out of that water, we're going to hug you and we're going to give you a fork. And you're going to walk out of here holding on to your fork because better things are to come. Is that right? Can we applaud that? Huh? You're going to hold on to your fork. My hope and my prayer is that nobody goes home today without a fork. That's my prayer. Now, I've been through this enough times that I know sometimes when people are challenged to be baptized and accept Christ, they have some questions, and some of them are real simple that, that it helps if you know the answer. So I, I wanna give you just a few um, simple answers to some of these questions. So what does baptism mean? It means that I'm acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sins. So my penalty's already paid, and I just wanna live my life in honor of what he did for me. And if that's you, okay, you're ready to be baptized. And so what, what happens when I'm baptized? What, what does it do for me? It is the moment, listen to this, it is the moment, the line in the sand when you're forgiven by God. That's the moment when it happens and you're filled up with the Spirit of God and you have the promise of eternal life, a perfect bodily existence forever in heaven, just like Jesus, he was first fruit. Who's gonna baptize me? Who's gonna do that? Well, one of our pastors by the name of Neil Lancaster is gonna baptize. Neil, come on up. Um, we had him wear something so you could see him, okay? So he's gonna go back and get ready to baptize me. He's the strongest dude we got on staff, okay? He's not gonna drop anybody. What will I wear? We got everything you need. We got all the clothing. We've got private changing rooms. You don't need anything. We got towels to dry you off. You'll, you'll, everything you need to get back in shape is all there. You'll look great. Now, ladies, if you just had a $150 hairdo, it's history, okay? But you'll, you'll be okay with that. Is the water warm? Yes. I tell people it's a jacuzzi without the jets, okay? That's, that's what the water is. What if I have kids? back there in the children's area. What do I do? I got kids back there. We take all the kids, we put them on Veterans Parkway and wish them the best, okay? We will take care of your children. We will take care of your children. Here's the deal. There are no, no excuses. Because here's what it comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. And if you're an Eastside person, you know sometimes I'm just kind of bold about it. Let me be bold, okay? God gives you the opportunity for the end of your story to be good. And you ain't gotta do anything for it. And everything that happened to Jesus, perfect bodily form in heaven forever and ever, he's just the first fruit. God says he wants you to follow. Who, who in their right mind says no to that? Who? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna walk over here and uh, our team's gonna sing, and we're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing. And uh, wait till you hear this first song, Left It In The Water, okay? Holy, holy, holy. So get ready for this first song. And so we're all gonna stand, we're gonna sing, and if you've been baptized, just whenever you wanna do it, come on up, we got forks all the way around. Grab you a fork, take it with you. 
And if you've not been baptized, listen carefully, this is important. If you've not been baptized, I want you to come straight to me. I'm gonna go down on the floor right there. You come straight to me and say, man, I want that fork. Are you ready? I don't think you're ready. Are you ready? Let's go. Leave it in the water. Leave it in the water. Leave it in the water.